This morning we have come to the portion in our worship service where we open God's word together and allow God to speak to us through it. I would invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Haggai. If you're using the Pew Bible, Haggai is found on page 941. Haggai chapter 2 is found on page 941. We will consider the first nine verses of Haggai chapter 2. Hear therefore the word of the Lord. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the peoples, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nation, all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, your word because it shows us that you are a God who is ever working for your glory and the good of your people. And I pray, Father, that our time together would be an encouragement, a uh, source of strength. We would draw the truths from these words and uh, think of them often in the week to come. We pray that you would do this by the power of your spirit. Amen and amen. If we can trace the source of our discouragement in our lives, I believe that we would find that the source for many discouragements that we face as individuals is the lack of observable progress. For instance, if you're a teacher and you're tasked with teaching the students, and you teach them day after day, and you give them an examination, and they fail. That lack of observable progress deflates. It discourages. 
maybe you're trying to lose weight and you develop a plan to enter a particular diet, you do exercise, but it doesn't come off as fast as you think it should, and you become discouraged. Or maybe there's a particular sin that you want to overcome, and the more you struggle against it, the more you feel that that particular sin is having dominion. And you don't see the observable progress that you would like in your spiritual life. When we don't see observable progress as individuals, we tend to become discouraged. When we see that there is no observable progress, we naturally are tempted to stop doing the work necessary. But the question is why? Why stop? Why is the lack of observable progress detrimental to our motivation? I think one of the main reasons is because it just feels that it's a waste of time. No matter how much effort, how much time you have placed in trying to achieve this particular goal, the more days that pass that that goal is not reached, you feel that you are only spinning your wheels and wasting time. It feels useless. Why bother if nothing is going to visibly improve? And that discouragement that we feel in our personal lives is often the same discouragement that we feel with regard to the church in general. When we look at the many struggles and the battles that the church is facing, and we see that sometimes progress in the right direction is often slow. And we also become unmotivated. We become discouraged. And we don't, if we don't see that progress develop in the local congregations that we attend, sometimes we feel discouraged to join in the work that God is doing in the particular congregations. And this is most likely this type of discouragement, the lack of visible progress, is most likely the discouragement that the people who Haggai wrote this chapter to, are. that's what they're feeling. They look around and they see that the progress that they're making isn't as exciting as they thought that it would be. And they are, too, starting to say, why bother? If this is going to not be as marvelous and as exciting as the temple that we had under Solomon, why bother? This morning, the unmistakable exhortation we get from the book of Haggai in this chapter or in these verses is, be strong and work. Build God's house. So that, that's the encouragement. But the question is, how can we do that when we are discouraged? How can we overcome this sense of discouragement that we often feel when we see the lack of visible progress? 
I think this morning Haggai gives us two truths that we are to ponder. So regardless of where you are in your progress, whatever goal you have, with regard to your spiritual growth or with with regard to investing into this local congregation, when you feel discouraged, we are to think on these two truths that we have here in the book of Haggai. And I think those two truths are, number one, know the source of your discouragement, and two, know the source of your encouragement. So let us take up point number one. Know the source of your discouragement. Know why you often become discouraged. The last time we were in this book here, we saw that God challenged his people to prioritize his dwelling place. And the people, hearing the admonition that God gave to them, began to work. And they they started to do what God had commanded them to do. But when we get here to chapter 2, after the people had obeyed God's voice, the people start to understand the grim reality that is in front of them. They are starting to observe that the temple that they're building is not as magnificent and glorious as the temple that Solomon had built. And it says that the word of the Lord came to Haggai. It came by the hand of Haggai to the leaders that were there. And the time that the word of the Lord came to the people was in the 21st day of the seventh month of the calendar of the Jewish calendar. And that might not mean much to us. But the seventh month in the Jewish calendar was an important month. Why? Because the first day of the month, of the seventh month, was the Feast of Trumpets. Israel would celebrate the harvest, the the ending of the harvest. On the 15th day, it was the Day of the Atonement, where God had promised to take away the sins of his people. And in this month, you also had the Feast of Booths, where Israel rehearsed their pilgrimage through the wilderness and also delighted in God giving them the land that he promised to give them. So this is what is in the background of the people of Israel when they are receiving this word. They have celebrated the Feast of Trumpets. They have celebrated the Day of Atonement. And they are in the midst of celebrating the Feast of Booths. But when they look around, things are discouraging. For the Feast of Trumpets celebrating the harvest, in the previous chapter we read that the harvest wasn't plentiful because God had cursed. And that would discourage the people. And here... The Feast of Booze would recall that Solomon's temple was dedicated during this very time. And yet, they are building a temple that, is, that pales in comparison. There is not much rejoicing. Look at verse 3 here. The evident 
comes out, the question that the people have on their mind is explicitly asked. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it, as, is it not as nothing in your eyes? The new temple might have been similar dimensions as the Solomon temple. It might have been in the same city. It might have been for the same God. But there was no comparing the two. But why? Well, it's the perspective. Look back at that last question in verse 3. It says, Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Here is the crux of their discouragement. We will always be discouraged when God's presence is not the determining factor for our progress. The people of God were dismayed and disillusioned not because God's presence wasn't there. They were disillusioned because it didn't look like the temple that Solomon had built. The source of their discouragement wasn't valuing God's presence. It was valuing external adornment. But the value of the temple was never determined by the adornments that it had, but by the, its inhabitants. In the view of this ragtag remnant that had returned from the Babylonian exile, the new temple was judged to be inferior. The new temple was not made of the expensive materials that Solomon used. The new temple was not at the heart of a thriving dynasty, but rather it was the endeavor of a fledgling, fledgling remnant community that was extremely discouraged. God's people had lost the focus that what gave value to the house was God's presence. God's presence is the determining factor of our success in anything that we do. The danger that we have as Christians is to develop the Samson syndrome. If you recall the story of Samson, when Delilah asked him, where does your strength reside? He said it was in his hair. And that is to a certain extent true. But the source, the fundamental source, wasn't the, 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 the hair wasn't the fundamental source of his strength. It was God that gave him the strength. It was that God was with him in defeating the Philistines. And the source of our discouragement is that we don't see that God is working in our midst. When we lose sight that it is God that is in our midst, we become discouraged. Maybe this morning you feel exactly as God's people felt when they heard the words from Haggai. But could it be that you are sourcing your encouragement and what can never fully and finally encourage you ultimately? I believe that the Heidelberg Catechism, question one, question and answer one, has this very thing in mind when it says, what is your only 
your only, absolutely only hope in life and in death. You can't answer that question by looking at anything else in this created order. You can only answer that question by saying, God. Your only hope in life and death is that you don't belong to yourself, but you belong to God. God is with you through his son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, the source of the discouragement of God's people was that they had placed value on the wrong thing. That they found joy in seeing material prosperity but not spiritual prosperity. We can focus on the programs and we can focus on the uh, amount of people that gather on a particular Sunday morning. And those things are okay. But those aren't the determining factors of success for a local congregation. Because the success of the local congregation is God's presence. It's God's presence. The Lord does not build the house. In vain do the laborers work. So therefore, having seen that the discouragement was sourced in finding joy in what can ultimately not satisfy or bring encouragement, we move to the second point, knowing the source of your encouragement. Here, if we look at verse 4, Look at the command that you be strong. And the command goes to the leaders and to the remnant people. Be strong and work, Zerubbabel. Be strong and work, Joshua. Be strong and work, all you people of the land. How were they going to be strong and work? How, what would encourage them to be strong and work? The fact that God was with them. That alone was the sole source of their encouragement. That it didn't matter that they were surrounded by enemy armies. It didn't matter that they were a small people. It didn't matter that they were a fledgling community. It didn't matter that they no longer had the dynasty that once that they once had as they the kings of Israel ruled that region. That didn't matter. What mattered was that God was with them. God's encouragement to us is his very presence. Three times in verse 3 at 4, it says that we, we see that encouragement, that command, be strong. The challenge to be strong was in order that the people would continue to build the house. And the reason that they would continue to build the house is because they had God with them. Haggai challenged God's people to work in the midst of discouragement because it was God that was working by his spirit to enable them to accomplish the task before them. The outsiders would look and say, this work will utterly fail. This work is going nowhere. That's what the people outside would say. But because God was with them, the work would succeed. And that is our source of encouragement. 
The people did not have to be ashamed that they didn't have the precious gold and silver that Solomon used for the original temple because God was with them. Notice what God tells them in verse 8. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. I have the resources at my disposal. They belong to me. And verse 9, it says that the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. This is the encouragement that God gave the people in the time of Haggai is the same encouragement that we receive today. We can labor in building up the church. We can labor in building up one another in this most holy faith because God is working, because God is moving, because God is with us. We work because God is already working, because God is already in action. The, our work is a result of God's already present work. His covenantal commitment to make the labors of our hands prosperous. We might seem small and the labors might seem difficult and insignificant. You might feel that discouragement gnawing at you as you attend the worship services, as you attend the Wednesday prayer meetings, as you attend the Bible studies. You might feel that there is no visible progress. But the encouragement that we receive from God's word this morning is that God is with us. And because he is with us, the work of the Lord is continuing to be prospered in our midst. God's spirit is in our midst, working in our hearts. Even when we are unaware that God is working. God is working through the sermons, through the singing, through the scripture reading, through the confessions, through the creeds, through the preaching, and as we will see later on, through the administration of the sacraments. God is working as we bear one another's burdens, as we send cards of encouragement to one another as we shed tears with others who are going difficult circumstances. God is working. And you might see that the work that you do is very small and insignificant. And you might be comparing your work to another work. Maybe the glory days of old, where there was more people, where the denomination was more robust. And it might be discouraging. Here we see that God is telling us he is with his church and therefore they can be encouraged. So God's presence is the source of our encouragement. But that's not the only thing that God encourages us with. The other source of our encouragements are God's promises. God's promises. God's encouragement in the present is sourced in God's promise in the past and God's promise for the future. In other words, we can be encouraged that God will do what he has promised in the present by looking at the past and observing his faithfulness to his people. And we can also anticipate and look forward to the future expecting God's word to come true. 
Look at back at verse 5. God said that he was with his people in accordance to what? The promise that God made with Israel at Sinai. There at Sinai, he promised, he reiterated the promise that he gave to Abraham that he would be their God and they would be his people. And God was faithful. Even in their exile, God was with them. God never abandoned his people. He brings them back to the promised land. Now they're discouraged because it doesn't look like there's any visible observation of progress. But here we see that God never abandoned them. What he promised to them to be their God and they be their, his people was true, and it remained true. But God also promised in anticipation for the future. And in verse 6, we get an earth-shaking, cosmos-altering, life-changing future promise. It says, in a little while, which is code or short for in the last days, God is going to shake the heavens and the earth, the seas and the dry land, notice the extremities, the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. In other words, nothing is going to be, um, nothing is going to remain unaffected by what I am going to do. Nothing is going to escape the consequences of God's divine intervention. And then it says, once more. Once more, God is going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, to bring about his glorious redemption. This is hearkening back to the exodus and the shaking that happened at Mount Sinai, but it's also looking forward to the Christ event, where the entire cosmos is going to undergo a drastic drastic transformation because the kingdom of God will become inaugurated in the Christ event. So when it's talking about the shaking of heavens and earth, seas and dry land, it's saying that the event of Christ coming, dying for his people and paying the price for the penalty of their sins and raising himself up to life by the power of the spirit and reigning and sitting at the right hand of God the Father to reign is going to shake the entire cosmos. Haggai is telling us, God is telling us through the prophet Haggai, here it's looking forward to the final and full exodus, not from the bondage of Egypt, but from the bondage of sin. God's people were going to be released not from the domain of Pharaoh, but from the domain of darkness. And God, through the shaking of the heavens and the earth and the seas and dry land, was going to ultimately bring peace to his people. God was going to work this glorious work. And the promise ends in verse 9 by saying that the latter glory of the house would be greater than the former one. And truly, the latter glory of the house is greater than the former. See, because the second temple paled into comparison 
to Solomon's temple. Now, through history, the second temple became beautiful by the investments of Herod and other kings. But here, it's not talking about that this temple will ultimately eclipse Solomon's temple. It's talking about the future temple, which is the body of Christ, the new temple, those who have been gathered from all corners of the earth and have been brought into the body of Christ and now are the new temple of God. That temple, the temple that we see now in the church, is eclipsing the glory of Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was expansive on Mount Zion, but the new temple, the church, spans the entire globe. People from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue find lasting, soul-satisfying peace in Christ. That wasn't true of Solomon's temple. So the reach, the expanse of the new temple far surpasses Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple is a dwarf of the new temple. And this new temple will finally give way to the new Jerusalem that we find in in the book of Revelation. So we look at the progress of the gospel throughout the world. There are Christians in every continent, and there is no place on earth that is unaffected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, what seems insignificant, what seems that that nothing big is going on, is evidence that God is working and making his presence known to his people. God, who is doing the work, world-shaking, cosmos-altering work, is involved in our lives, and we can have confidence and be encouraged by his presence and by his promises. This morning, you are probably here and many times have potentially been discouraged discouraged with your personal walk with God discouraged because sometimes we don't see what we want to see people come in and uh, fill this place but the encouragement from God's word this morning is that God is with us and that is success we don't define this success as the world defines success Success is not the many numbers. It's not thousands upon thousands of people gathered in one place. Although that is our prayer and we would like that God would work to that end, we know that what defines success in the local church and in our lives is God's presence. So therefore, this morning... Where do you find the encouragement for your spiritual progress? Do you look at external things? Or do you look at the promise that God gives you he would be with you until the end of the age? 
Therefore, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us be encouraged this morning that God is working out his secret plan and that we can have the confidence that he will accomplish his work in our lives because he is with us. Therefore, be strong and work. When you're discouraged, be strong and work. When you don't feel like it, be strong and work because God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This morning, you might be discouraged. Maybe this past week was discouraging. But we must remember that Christ is the one building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let us pray. Father, you send your word forth and we thank you because your word does not come back void, but it accomplishes the work for which you send it. And I pray, Father, that this word given to us by the prophet Haggai many years ago, I pray, Father, that this would be an encouraging word, that this local congregation would feel encouraged because you are with them, because you haven't abandoned them, because you are sustaining the work that is undertaken here Sunday after Sunday, week after week. You are working through the leadership, through the love that they have for one another. And I pray, Father, that they would be encouraged to the point that they would continue to throw themselves in the work of the gospel, knowing that whatever they do for the Lord is never in vain. And I pray, Father, that that would be true, that that encouragement would sustain them, continue to nourish their faith so that they would continue to strive to work for your glory and the praise of your name. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.